Hey, aloha, and welcome to the Hawaii Reopening Consortium webinar. This is the third of a series of seven webinars happening every Tuesday. My name is Toby Tamai, and I am the president of a local agency called AT Marketing. My name is Dandy Santiago Narvez, and I'm the director of sales and marketing at the Ritz-Carlton Residences, Waikiki Beach. This series is a collaboration between the Travel Industry Management International and the Scheidler College of Business Administration Alumni Association. Uh, these webinars are offered at no cost by the two alumni associations. The webinars are designed to stimulate ideas for solutions that can be implemented by key tourism leaders, large and small business owners, employees working in the tourism industry, college students studying the travel industry related fields and the general public. Topics include tourism, health and safety, an update on airline and hotel industries, restarting businesses in retail and dining, and a special webinar focused on the recovery of tourism from Japan. The goal of these seminars is to deliver information that can save small businesses, save jobs, and provide hope to our attendees with positive and forward-thinking messages. For those that missed out on our previous webinars, please visit the Scheider College page on Vimeo to watch any of the recordings. So the idea for this series was born from a simple discussion that evolved into the realization of a need. We needed to hear from our leaders in our various industries. We needed them together, united, and we needed their help determining our own plans to reopen successfully. But ultimately, this series is about what you need. So please, if you have any questions for our panelists, go ahead and drop them in our Q&A box. Our moderators will monitor your questions and select as many as possible to re review at the end of our webinar. Since these seminars are during the lunch hour, we are featuring University of Hawaii Shiloh College of Business or Travel Industry Management restaurants that are owned or managed by an alumni. Today's restaurant is Kaimaki Superette. Ed Kenny, an MBA of the Shiloh College of Business, has amazing restaurants out there for you to visit. A special thanks to the University of Hawaii Shiloh College of Business, the School of Travel Industry Management, and I'd also like to mention the producers behind this webinar today. Evan Leong, CEO of Brain Gain Hawaii, John Doyle, Technical Director of the Department of Defense, and Buddy Leong, Executive Director of Virtual Student Experiences. Additionally, this Thursday, we are launching a fundraising campaign called Scheidler Strong. Your contributions will go to the Scheidler College of Business, which directs these funds to student development, mentoring, and networking opportunities to connect our talented business community. Please visit the UH Scheidler College of Business website for more details. All right, let's get on to the webinar. Our first speaker is Mr. Tim Sakahara. Tim serves as the Communications Director for the Hawaii Department of Transportation, which consists of 15 airports, 10 commercial harbors, and more than 2,500 lane miles of highways across the state. He speaks on behalf of the 2,600 employees diligently working to keep Hawaii's transportation system moving forward. Prior to joining the state in January 2015, Sakahara was an award-winning journalist. He reported in television markets in Hawaii, California, Oklahoma, and Oregon, where in addition to covering transportation stories, his assignments included chasing tornadoes, hurricanes, and tsunamis. In addition to being a dedicated public servant, Sakahara is active in the community and regularly volunteers for various educational and charitable organizations. Sakahara is a proud graduate of UCLA, where he earned a degree in political science. Welcome to the webinar, Tim. All right, aloha. Thank you very much for that, Sandy. And thank you to uh, the UH Scheidler College of Business Alumni Association and, and everyone who put this on for inviting me to participate. 
especially appearing on such a distinguished panel with uh, the partners from the airline industry. Uh, thank you also to Lance and Nina, Sandy, Toby, and Buddy for the coordination. And of course, everyone who's taking uh, their lunch, lunch break to uh, listen in. Thank you uh, to everyone who's online now. It is interesting because last week, I did a similar webinar like this with members of the Healthcare Association. And I imagine today I, I may get a very different point of view from that one. And of course, keep in mind the details evolve quickly and we're all having to adapt to the ever-changing conditions. So we thank you and all the businesses and the public for its patience as uh, the state navigates through the pandemic. It is certainly a situation where it frankly is impossible to please everyone. And with that in mind, I will do my best to try to provide a, a summary of what travelers can expect when flying to Hawaii um, when they reach our airports. And I'll also try to provide some highlights and updates from the, some of the recent talking points from Governor EJ and Lieutenant Governor uh, uh, Josh Green that they've recently said. So Hawaii is still set to restart on October 15th with the pre-travel testing program. And I do say restart just because reopen technically isn't correct because Hawaii never closed, but people did have to abide by the 14-day mandatory quarantine upon arrival. Now, people will have the option of quarantine for the 14 days um, um, if they so choose, but they'll also have that option of getting a, a negative COVID test um, 72 hours from the departure of their flight to Hawaii in order to bypass uh, that quarantine. Now, it is important to note the state of Hawaii will only accept test results from the trusted testing partners and the travel partners that are out there. And there is a list on the hawaiicovid19.com uh, webpage um, as well, if anyone would like that for reference. So when a traveler, a Trans-Pacific traveler arrives in Hawaii, they will get off the plane and immediately have their temperature taken. Um, we no longer are stopping each traveler one-on-one -on -one and to take their temperature. Um, instead, we've installed some new thermal screening temperature equipment that has been installed at every gate and every TSA checkpoint at the five major airports in the state, which of course are Honolulu, Kahului, Lihue, Kona, and Hilo. Now, if a passenger does have an elevated temperature of 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or above, they will be pulled aside for additional medical screening. And depending on their symptoms, they will have the option of, of going to the emergency room if necessary and or having a COVID-19 uh, sample taken uh, right there. Those who do not have a fever will proceed to the passenger verification stations. So travelers will have already at this point set up their Safe Travels account on the Safe Travels webpage. And within 24 hours of that flight to Hawaii, people will have submitted their form, um, which includes travel and health questions. And once submitted, they will be emailed a QR code back. Now, each adult traveler and unaccompanied minor uh, entering the state will need to have that valid email address. It is a requirement. Um, everyone will need an email. Um, when they arrive at the airport, the screeners will scan that QR code to pull up their account and then verify the information is all correct by checking the passenger's ID, uh, calling their cell phone to ensure it rings right in front of them, and confirming their hotel reservation and length of stay. And once all of that is verified, their account will have a green check mark and they'll be free to leave. If there is a red X on their account, it will just mean that either they didn't fill out the form correctly or they answered yes to some of the health questions that would require an additional screening and some additional uh, questions. Now, all that stays the same, is in place now, um, but after on and after October 15th, 
That will continue, however, with the additional step of verifying the negative test if people come in with their negative test result. There is the option for people to upload their test result to their Safe Travels account um, as soon as they receive it. Um, and people should also remember to bring a copy of the result, their result, either a printed copy or have it on their phone um, ready to go just in case. Kind of like when people are traveling uh, internationally, they, they kind of keep their passport handy. It's going to be a good idea, especially in the beginning, to have that negative test result handy uh, as well. All right, some additional highlights that, uh, from the governor's news conference uh, last week. And I should say, actually, in a couple hours, the governor is going to be having another news conference um, with some updated information. Um, but just to, 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 so everyone is aware, to recap in case people aren't, uh, didn't hear, Hawaii does have a list of a dozen um, partners who will be working on the pre-travel testing, including some of our airlines um, who are here on this call. Uh, Hawaii will receive 420,000 Abbott rapid antigen tests um, from the federal government by the end of the year. These are the 15-minute tests. Um, however, these, these are specifically going to be used at first, at least, for long-term healthcare centers and the schools. The Lieutenant Governor also announced that surveillance testing is planned and being worked on. Um, so four days after the traveler enters Hawaii, they would get a second test, but really mainly for Data, data collection and research. Now this second test would be voluntary, at least at the start in, in, in the Lieutenant Governor's plan um, to help uh, see uh, if, if people are coming in and for additional research and, 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 and data purposes. It will be voluntary, but the expectation is still to get about 10% of the travelers to come in and take this uh, second test. It will be free for them to take this test. Um, and they're also working out possible incentives to try to get people to comply because they want to do have a, a broad age range per island um, and, and area where they're coming from. So there could be a gift card or something like that as an incentive for people. And just to close, uh, for perspective, uh, last year at this time, there were more than 31,000 people arriving into the state every single day. Now, of course, there's less than 2,000 people arriving today uh, a day. It's a drop of uh, more than 94%. And so it is a significant uh, uh, decrease. Um, however, with the October 15th uh, pre-travel program uh, starting, there is optimism that, uh, that, that those numbers will increase. And Hawaii, uh, with its exposure to the people and passengers, uh, will resume. And thanks again for having me. Thank you, Tim, for everything you do for the community and really that incredible explanation about what is happening when we arrive at the airport. Next up is Avi Manis. He is the Senior Vice President of Marketing of Hawaiian Airlines, a position he has held since July 2014. Manis is responsible for Hawaiian Airlines' brand, product advertising promotions, direct marketing, and direct sales and service channels. Manis joined Hawaiian Airlines in July 2007 as a Senior Director of Transformation. Prior to Hawaiian Airlines, he worked at the Boston Consulting Group in New York City and Paris, France, and at Christie's Auction House in New York City. Mr. Manis is also a graduate of Brown University and earning a BA with honors in Old World Archaeology and Art. He went on to earn his MBA from the University of Penn, Wharton School of Business. Mahalo Avi Manis for taking the time to be with us today on a very busy week. Thank you, Toby, and thank you everyone uh, for, for being here and for having us. Uh, we're delighted to be here to talk a little more about what is going on broadly in aviation in the industry and what we're seeing in Hawaii as well. Uh, and I was delighted to see 
uh, two of our terrific leaders who are also Scheidler grads participating as moderators uh, in this session. So I look forward to engaging with them on the panel. Um, in terms of what's going on overall uh, in the industry, uh, if you look at the domestic US aviation industry, traffic uh, remains down at the moment about 70% uh, year over year. Uh, about a third of the US commercial airline fleet is grounded at the moment. Uh, and when we compare this to history, if you think about uh, the major events in aviation, uh, this has been a, a more significant impact and a slower recovery than September 11th, which was the last uh, even remotely comparable crisis in the history of our business. So if you look at September 11th, in September 2001, there was about a 30% decline in, uh, in air travelers uh, within the US. Uh, that was back to being about down about 15% year over year by the fourth month. Uh, after that, uh, after that terrible event. If we think about COVID by comparison in the first month, which I would count as March of, uh, of, of 2020, which is when uh, there was real first real significant impact to domestic travel, uh, we had about a 50% decline in the first month. And that continued to get worse. Uh, it got to around 90% at one point. And in the fourth month after uh, the, the start of that, uh, we were still down about 80% year over year. So this is clearly uh, a crisis uh, without precedent um, in the airline industry. And the first thing that I would do um, is just to salute the incredible professionalism of our frontline teams during this crisis. And this is uh, Hawaiians, but really all of the US airlines. Um, there's no work from home option for, uh, for frontline uh, workers in the airline industry. And throughout this crisis, um, even with less travel, um, the, the critical infrastructure workers of the airline industry have been out there um, tirelessly working to um, do what needed to happen to get first responders where they needed to be in the US to um, support the essential travel needs of both our community here in Hawaii and around the US. And so um, I just really want to um, make sure that we recognize and express gratitude for um, their work and their sacrifice during this period of time. If we think specifically uh, about Hawaii, um, Hawaii, the impact of, uh, the, the, uh, of COVID on air travel for Hawaii has really been um, unique, both because we are unique in our dependence on air travel and because uh, we have been unique in our uh, enforcement of the quarantine. Alaska and some other states have imposed travel quarantines, uh, but no state has imposed that quarantine with the same zeal for enforcement. Uh, that has happened in, uh, in Hawaii. And so the effect uh, was to suppress demand. Uh, and it did so, uh, as Tim mentioned, uh, quite successfully. Uh, traffic dropped um, by you know, 97, 98% uh, to travel trans-Pacific uh, and international. Um, and, and so it's made it very hard. And we'll talk, uh, I'm sure there'll be interest in talking about what demand for travel is going forward. It's made it very hard for us to gauge what the underlying demand is because the quarantine so thoroughly suppressed uh, demand for travel. Uh, you know, I think it's important to observe that the 98% of the people who would have come elected not to, they did the respectful thing, understood um, the concerns of our community and didn't travel. Um, but the ones who did come obviously created headlines uh, and, and, and did some lasting damage um, to, to our brand as a destination. And that's something that I think we have to face and recover from going forward. Um, the inner island quarantine also uh, suppressed travel there. So if you think about the neighbor island uh, travel network as being something that in, in, in previous periods would have transported about 20,000 people a day, 
you know, now uh, during with the quarantine imposed, it's down to one or 2,000 people per day. Um, during the period when it was temporarily lifted, that doubled um, to around 4,000 or 5,000 travelers per day. Um, what happens with the inner island quarantine is still very much uh, an open question. Uh, I think that remains to, to be seen. Clearly, air travel is part of the sort of economic lifeblood of this community, and it's hard to imagine sustaining an economic recovery without the free movement of people uh, between the islands. Uh, there are some, clearly some challenging policy decisions to be made there, um, and it's unclear what that's going to be. From our perspective, the notion of imposing the same sort of PCR testing regime that's been, uh, that's been put in place for trans-Pacific travel really doesn't make sense either economically or logistically when you think about the volumes of travel and the, uh, and, and the cost uh, of a ticket relative to the cost of a test, which is, which, is, which is quite expensive. At Hawaiian, as we've worked through this, you know, our focus has been on making sure that we're operating safely, first and foremost, um, both for our guests and for our employees, uh, taking on debt um, to make sure that we have enough liquidity to get us through this crisis. And that's an area where we, as a, as a big business um, in the visitor industry here, with a strong balance sheet and lots of unencumbered assets have been at a significant advantage. We've been able to go out and take on hundreds of millions of dollars of debt to get us through this. That is not a luxury that a mom and pop business in our community um, that is struggling to survive without visitors has. And so we feel fortunate uh, in that respect. Um, but those are things that we're going to have to, uh, to live with and pay off over the course of um, the decade to come. And lastly, we've had to make hard decisions to conserve cash. We've had to figure out how we can uh, reduce our cash burn, which has been around $3 million per day um, to ensure um, that we're able to survive. And those are decisions that uh, have a, a personal weight beyond just the economic impact. On, on October 1st, uh, when the federal payroll support uh, expired, we parted ways with uh, almost 2,500 of our employees, about a third of our workforce. And um, many of those were uh, through, through voluntary retirements. We had a lot of people who took early retirement earlier than they would have wanted to end their career because they knew that by doing so, they would preserve a place for someone uh, younger who might need the job more. Um, these were people who, as I've been in this business uh, for the last 13 years, have been mentors uh, to me who have taught me uh, what hospitality means. And so it's been tremendously difficult, the, the human cost of, uh, of, of, this economic, uh, of this economic calamity that's faced our community. Um, so what lies ahead uh, from our perspective? Um, first and foremost, as we think just about our community, I think we face um, some real humanitarian crisis. I think we face some generational uh, impacts. Those are economic impacts. Those are household food and housing insecurity, um, disparities in access to education. Um, all of these are things that I think uh, we've seen looming for a while um, and I think are now essentially inevitable given the lagging effects of those things. Um, there are things that are going to strain our social safety net as a community at a time when the absence of tourism also means that there aren't revenues uh, coming into government um, to be able to fund the measures uh, that, that we will need to ensure the well-being of our community. And these things, um, again, food and housing insecurity, access to education, access to healthcare are um, drivers and determinants of healthcare 
uh, of health outcomes in our community. And so it's something that we're very uh, concerned about. And the only thing that we feel really uh, can, can start to blunt the impact of that crisis is reopening our economy safely. And that's why we have been, uh, been so focused on that. And that sounds very grim, but there's reason to be hopeful um, because we know that there is a way to do that successfully. Um, and um, if we do that, we, uh, there's actually a, a good sense to believe that airlift um, is going to return fairly, uh, fairly robustly. The grounded fleets um, that are, I talked about about a third of the US fleet being grounded, those are, are, are largely grounded in short-term storage right now. Um, there are levels of storage you can put aircraft into. And I think most airlines are keeping their fleet ready um, to return so that when demand returns, um, they can bring aircraft back. We believe that leisure travel, demand for leisure travel is going to return uh, faster than demand for business travel. And again, that favors places like Hawaii, destinations like Hawaii. And we're already seeing a little about a bit of that with destinations that have reopened. So we're seeing US airlines start to reconfigure their networks to take advantage of uh, the increased uh, proportion of leisure travelers. When if you look at places like Florida and Palm Springs, some of the winter resort destinations in Mexico, we're already seeing them start to benefit from additional air service. That's critically important for a community like ours that um, depends on air service. And what is most important um, for us uh, as a community is that we implement a layered system of protections that allow us to safely reopen our economy. And no one measure uh, is going to be sufficient um, and all of them will need to work together in order to, um, to ensure that we can keep our community safe. And those involve things like testing, um, which we're launching this week. Uh, and we think that that will be an important, but not again, individually sufficient part of the solution. Screening, contact tracing, aggressive and effective public health interventions when we do have someone who arrives in the community who is positive. Uh, we believe very strongly that um, those public health measures and screening and testing need to be embedded deeply in our community, not just in resort areas uh, and in airports, because ultimately um, the, the issue and the concern from an epidemiological standpoint is not just tourists coming here from other places, it is locals who return and travel um, and are more deeply embedded in our community. So we need to make sure um, that we have those measures in place everywhere. We need to implement these in a pragmatic and data-driven manner. We are not going to be able to reduce to zero uh, the number of cases that are introduced through travel. Um, what we do need to do is ensure that we put enough measures in place that we can manage those um, within the healthcare capacity of our state, uh, which, we, which we have at the moment. Um, and we need to move quickly and we need to move forward because every day um, that we delay the reopening of our economy, the, the lagging consequences uh, for our community become more, more dire. So um, we are optimistic. We believe that there is a path forward now. Um, we are working really hard um, with our partners in the industry, in the airports, in the state, uh, and in, in, throughout the hospitality industry to ensure that we make this reopening uh, success. And then the last thing I'll say is that um, I have a number of my colleagues from around uh, the airline industry on this, on this panel with me. Um, and while we are uh, fierce competitors commercially, um, there's been an enormous amount of collaboration and sharing and cooperation between the airlines when it comes to safety. That is not an area on which we compete. And so there's been um, terrific sharing of data and best practices 
Um, and I know Daniel's going to talk about that, so I'll leave it with him to uh, to share more of some of the extraordinary measures we've done to keep our um, our guests and our employees safe. Mahalo. Mahalo, Avi, for those updates and for all that Hawaiian does to show genuine care for our community. Now, Daniel Chen is the Hawaii Director of Sales, Community, and Public Relations for Alaska Airlines. He leads the airline sales, marketing, public affairs, and community outreach efforts throughout the state of Hawaii. Chen has nearly two decades of experience in Hawaii's tourism industry, starting at the Hawaii Vis Visitors and Convention Bureau, where he helped to develop internal travel to the islands. Chen then served for seven years as the special assistant to the state of Hawaii's governor-appointed tourism liaison, where he coordinated with government agencies and the visitor industry on tourism-related matters. Prior to joining Alaska, Chen was the executive director of the Honolulu Gay and Lesbian Cultural Foundation, an umbrella organization for the Honolulu Rainbow Film Festival. In 2019, Chen was appointed to the Hawaii Tourism Authority Board of Directors by Hawaii Governor David Ige. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Sandy. And uh, aloha, everyone. And really, mahalo to uh, the Scheidler Alumni Association and Tim International for the invitation to join all of you today. Um, you know, as we start to welcome travelers back to Hawaii this week and more of us uh, start to return to the skies, I really wanted to take some time today to talk about how the airline industry, Alaska included, uh, has been working to earn your confidence as uh, you start to fly again. Um, as airlines, we know that we have an important role in promoting safe travel to the islands. So we continue to work with state and tourism leaders to ensure that our guests will understand the shared responsibility we all have as out-of-state travel to Hawaii resumes. And really now more than ever, we are emphasizing the personal role that our guests have in protecting the health and safety of themselves, others, and their communities. Uh, so I'm gonna use a few examples uh, from Alaska, but, but of, co of course it's because what I know. Um, but Avi, as Avi said, um, while airlines compete fiercely in the marketplace, um, safety is one area that uh, we oftentimes will share best practices and will adopt standards across the industry. This certainly is uh, more true um, isn't more true than now. Um, so whether it's how Hawaiian is keeping you safe, uh, United's Clean Plus, ANA's Care Promise, or what we at Alaska call Next Level Care, uh, you can feel confident in the industry's collective efforts to keep you safe whenever you're ready uh, to fly again. So um, talking about Alaska's Next Level Care, it's, it's comprised of over 100 actions uh, designed to offer layers of safety, as Avi was talking about, which as we all know is the key to reducing risk as there's really no one silver bullet that takes care of everything. Uh, this includes HEPA filtration on our aircraft, uh, masks and uh, face covering requirements for all of our guests and employees and much more. Uh, like most other airlines, uh, we've drawn on the expertise of medical experts, which in our case um, are medical and infectious disease experts from the University of Washington Medical Center. And each layer of safety has un undergone a rigorous assessment to ensure that it provides the maximum protection and uh, reduces the level of risk to the traveling public. So we believe that all these actions taken together are making a difference. Um, in a recent post-flight survey that we did of our guests, 82% um, shared that they had a safe and healthy environment while 95% said that their seat area was clean. We're evolving our practices and policies as knowledge of the COVID-19 virus continues to improve. So in fact, 
the industry, including Alaska, is partnering with the Aviation Public Health Initiative at Harvard University to thoroughly look at safety measures in the industry. They've already published two bulletins, uh, one on mask use on board and the other on disinfection practices. Uh, one model referenced in the mask bulletin shows that with universal mask usage combined with the airflow and circulation on board modern aircraft, the chances of catching COVID-19 on board is less than 1%. So speaking of airflow within the cabin, um, it's probably one of the most surprising topics. Um, it definitely was for me, at least. Um, studies have shown that aircraft cabin air filtration is comparable to what is found in hospitals due to the frequency of air circulation or air recirculation on board. Uh, like most of the industry, each of our aircraft are equipped with systems that contain two HEPA, um, which is high efficiency particulate air filters, uh, which are 99.9% .9 effective or greater in removing particulate contaminants uh, in, including viruses like COVID-19 and other bacteria from recirculated air. Cabin air flows from the ceiling to the floor um, to direct the airflow away from other passengers. And our air fil filtration system cycles outside air on board every two to three minutes, which is about 20 to 30 times an hour, which is more frequently than many other indoor environments. Guests can open their personal air vent um, to increase filtered air at their seat. According to the CDC, because of how air circulates and is filtered on airplanes, most viruses and other germs do not spread easily on flights. Also, the top engineer at Airbus has said that even if you sneeze, within a minute, there's nothing left around you. The fact that you're seated for a couple hours next to somebody doesn't represent a higher risk than being in another area where you'll be close to people for a given period of time, like in shops, for example. But there, the air doesn't necessarily move around very much. And Boeing has said that cabin air flows primarily from ceiling to floor in a circular pattern and leaves through the floor grills near the same seat where it enters. This helps minimize the front to back air movement and helps to limit the potential spread of contaminants. So I mentioned how we're counting on both our guests and employees to keep each other safe. You've heard it many times before, but masks and face coverings play an important role in reducing the spread of infection between individuals. This is more important or even more important on board an aircraft. This is why airlines are requiring a cloth mask and covering uh, for all guests and employees during the duration of the flight, including boarding and deplaning. For Alaska, it's no mask, no travel, no exceptions. Guests who refuse to wear a mask will not be permitted to board the aircraft and guests who refuse to wear a mask during the flight will be issued a warning. Uh, for us, it's in the form of a yellow card that's handed to them and it will result in suspension of their ability to fly in the future. And many other airlines have accepted or um, uh, have that policy as well. I haven't mentioned all of our enhanced cleaning protocols such as electrostatic spraying and fogging procedures, but as I'm sure you've heard, all airlines are working around the clock to sanitize kiosks, gate areas, cabins, and key touch points, including tray tables, armrests, seat belts, lavatories, you name it, with EPA approved disinfectants. So hopefully some of this gives you added confidence in the safety of flying. Um, and I thought I'd close by noting a few things that you can do to help the next time that you're on board. Uh, we are all transforming the check-in process to reduce touch points for passengers. Uh, you can download um, all of our mobile apps so that you can make sure your trip is as smooth and contactless, contactless as possible. Uh, you, can, you can proceed straight to the TSA uh, when arriving at the airport. Uh, we have print at home options for both the boarding pass and, and bag tags, and our agents now can even scan your boarding pass from six feet away. Uh, to limit interaction between flight crews and, and guests, uh, many of us have temporarily reduced in-flight food and beverage service. 
Um, so feel free to bring your own snacks on board. And uh, we also encourage you to bring your own refillable water bottle as well. Um, in addition to keeping that mask on at all times, remember to keep your distance from others and be patient when boarding and deplaning. Travel during this time will be different and we all need to do our part to protect each other, reduce our risk and be able to live safely with this virus for the time being. So with that said, I just wanna thank you so much for your time and I look forward to having a conversation with everyone at the end, mahalo. Hey, thank you, Daniel, for that thorough explanation. I definitely feel confident to fly again. Next up is our voice representing the Japanese travel market. Hiroshi Shibata is Vice President and General Manager of the Honolulu office of All Nippon Airways, a position he has held since April 2017. Mr. Shibata has been with the company for 33 years. Currently, Mr. Shibata is responsible for management of the Honolulu office, such as operation of regular flight service from their Honolulu routes, labor management of locally hired employees and home staff from Japan, supervising of handling companies and coordinating matters with external partners in Honolulu as the local representative here. Welcome to the discussion, Mr. Shibata. Thank you, Toby. Uh, aloha, everyone. My name is Hiroshi Shibata, General Manager of ANA Honolulu Office. Thank you for this opportunity to speak to you about the current situation in Hawaii and Japan. Today, I'd like to talk about what ANA has been working on, what we are doing now, and what we are expected to do in the future. Next page, please. First, uh, let's review ANA's business before COVID-19. Uh, in May 2019, uh, the S380 was launched. It was the first time in Hawaii. According to our original uh, business plan for 2020, we plan to increase with another S380 aircraft, which would increase our fleet to a total three S380, painted blue, green, and orange and plans to operate all of the double daily Narita flights by June. The seat capacity of the S-80 is 520 seats. And with the addition to the Boeing 77 Haneda flight, total airlift was planned to be 1,286 seats per day. And second, uh, it was the first time that ANA provided elite first class services uh, to the high-end customers to Honolulu. In addition, uh, we have also created a 10,000 square feet airport lounge. No other carrier has this cap capability. And the most unique and popular point is the exclusive boarding gate. We can access directly to the S380 upper deck from the gate. Customers were very pleased with these services. Uh, next, in ANA's accomplishment, and community. We have created a music event called ANA Honolulu Music Week 2019, which will contribute to enhance direct communication with the local community and the development of music education in Hawaii. Next, uh, as a part of so-called Responsible Tourism Initiative and to contribute to eco-friendly in Hawaii uh, was the sponsorship of Viki and the uh, introduction of the shuttle, shuttle bus uh, between Waikiki and Aramoana centers with a 10, uh, 100% electrical bus 
that does not emit noise while it's lost emissions. In addition to being eco-friendly, we have planned 520 middle trees and set up a beach cleaning at Aomana Center Beach. Uh, number, the number of A520 is one of the CTAR of A380. Uh, unfortunately, uh, due to the influence of COVID-19, all flights were suspended from March 29. Uh, orange painted A380 has been postponed until further notice. All of these initiatives and activities are currently suspended, uh, except for sponsorship to DP. I'm very disappointed as well as everyone's soul related to tourism. Next, next page, please. Uh, as you know, uh, all travel demands have disappeared uh, due to the prohibited travel uh, by both government uh, from late March. Uh, as March 20, uh, Governor Ige's statements to request to postpone travel to Hawaii. Uh, Personally, I will never forget this day. I was on vacation with my family on a trip to Kauai. I received an urgent call from a staff member hired locally in Hawaii. She said over the phone, according to internet, the governor has announced the request to postpone the trip to Hawaii. Uh, you should immediately cancel your vacation, return to Honolulu and suspend any flights. Uh, I was very shocked to hear. Uh, she would throw out a business without considering a return flight of Japanese. Uh, also, Shokura uh, in Japan as well, and the number of incoming Japanese dropped sharply. And in March 26, uh, Hawaii State imposed mandatory 14-day uh, quarantine for entering in Hawaii. And uh, March 31st, uh, Japanese government raised infection advisory to level three for US, uh, including Hawaii. Uh, and sales of packet tours are prohibited in Japan. April three, uh, Japanese government expanded the entry bans uh, to US citizens. And also for all returning Japanese, infection tests will really be conducted upon arrival in Japan. And all, only negative person can enter, but request for in day quarantine. Uh, all travel demands were eliminated. So uh, under these circumstances, NA conduct air tours using uh, S380 in August and September uh, in order to maintain the atmosphere for travel to Hawaii as much as possible. It takes about 90 minutes to fly over Japan, but uh, they can feel Hawaii, uh, of course, uh, flying by a380 and providing Hawaiian cocktails in flight movies related to Hawaii, overflying not only Mount Fuji, but also Izu Oshima Island, so-called Japanese Mauna Kea. Uh, you, can be, you can visit and to check uh, Izu Oshima Island in website. You can see a lot of similar landscape. A lot of customers apply the flight uh, more than 100 times the capacity. We have realized the strength of Hawaii's value once again. In addition, uh, we have learned uh, that there are many repeaters uh, who want to know the current situation in Hawaii. And we plan to hold a live Hawaii travel briefing, preparing for future overseas travel 
uh, using Zoom and, and other facilities. We will continue to strive to attract more customers in Hermes region. This alone shows uh, how, I, how popular Hawaii is to Japanese travelers and its hopes to future travel in the near future. Uh, next page, please. So this is shown the uh, yeah, tours uh, we use S3IP and in-flight services. Uh, all, all passengers uh, get together uh, wearing, wearing uh, aloha and uh, enjoy Hawaii time aboard. Next space, please. Uh, what should we do in the future? First, I hope that Hawaii State issues a message. Uh, so uh, that Hawaii State issues a message uh, to resume accepting tourism from Japan. The shock of March 70 that many Japanese receipts should be dispelled first. Second, uh, slowly reduce uh, regulations step by step. So to lift holiday self-quarantine in Hawaii, it will have to proceed with the application of the pre-travel testing program to Japan, which applies to travelers from the mainland. It means that Hawaii, Hawaii State allows Japan to participate in pre-travel testing program to accept negative PCR tests at Japanese clinics and laboratories before departure from Japan. Also, I think it is important for both travelers and local community to practice safety protocol for tourism-related people in Hawaii and to reduce new infection and infection rates. ANA has already announced our safety protocol, including the series of air travel ANA care forms. With these factors, I think the most important thing is to then to quarantine in Japan and the lower travel risk level for Hawaii from level three to level two. It is related to the start of sales packet tours. In Japan and the United States, there are different laws and environments related to medical practice. So I'd like to look forward to the effort taken by state governments. One option is for the Japanese government to consider separating the Hawaii from the United States territory and abolish mandatory tests. Anyway, if the infection is suppressed, the inspection will be abolished. The recent number of infected people per, per, per 100,000 population is uh, seven. 770 in Hawaii and 70 in Japan. So there is, there is various tourism demand. In, de in December, uh, Honolulu Marathon, as well as Christmas and year-end holidays. In February and March, there is also the need uh, for Japanese students to travel on graduation trips. Also, don't forget the Olympic Games to be held in Tokyo next summer. In spring, normalization is strongly expected. There will be a mix of expect expectations and concern, but I hope that airlines, travel companies, hotels, and all concerned parties will work together to resume travel. And ANA will continue to play a part, a part in this effort. 
Let's get over it together. Thank you and mahalo. Thank you, Mr. Shibata. I cannot wait to go to Japan again in the future. Jeff Tarpey is based on Maui as a regional general manager of, for United Airlines. He is responsible for airport operations and customer service through the four neighbor island airport teams. Jeff has over 25 years of work experience in Hawaii and lives on Oahu, Kauai, and Maui. His community involvement includes volunteer service among several boards and teams, including HBCB Island Chapters, Maui Community Strategic Plan, and the Mayor's Task Force. Jeff and his wife enjoy spending time with his family, world travel, and culture, and enjoying the outdoors. Thank you, Jeff. Sandy, thank you so much. Uh, aloha, everybody. Uh, it's nice to meet you, and uh, it's really nice to be with everyone today. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation for United to join. Um, you know, my other airline colleagues, they've done a great job uh, explaining the sense of things right now, not only in our industry, but for the customers that we all come into contact with, our residents, uh, one another, and, and of course, visitors uh, when that starts up. Um, you know, ANA is one of our, our wonderful Star Alliance partners, and Hawaiian uh, is just a fantastic code share partner. Um, you know, United has a really large presence here and a proud heritage uh, here in Hawaii all these years. Um, you know, this crisis has hurt us all. It's, it's caused us to evaluate our, our not pleasant, excuse me, our present flight schedule, uh, but it has not affected our long-term commitment here in Hawaii. Um, you know, we also have other countries around the world that depend on connecting here. And we look forward to welcoming them back uh, just at the right time. So our shared purpose is all about connecting people and uniting the world. We're gonna continue to operate safely uh, and we're gonna do it with a nice customer experience across our five airports uh, from Lihui all the way to Hilo. Um, we have a clean experience, uh, much like how the other, uh, my colleagues here have described. Uh, and we're really happy with our partnership that we have with uh, Clorox and the Cleveland Clinic that formed what is our new uh, United Clean Plus program. It's basically, it's a layered approach. Uh, what we're doing is we're focusing on providing a really safe and a fantastic customer experience. Um, our customers are going to find that they can have a touchless environment. And uh, once they're on board, after the aircraft has been completely disinfected and sprayed, um, electrostatic spraying, they're going to even receive a personal alcohol wipe and a greeting as they board the aircraft. They'll be able to use that uh, for their own personal use. Um, we're, we're looking after everyone at all the different points of, of their journey, uh, not only for safety and compliance, uh, but just to help restart travel as people begin flying again. You know, and for some people that's gonna feel like a first time flight uh, when, that, when that starts up again. Um, you know, we also, I wanted to say, we just really appreciate the good relationships that we have with, uh, with all of us here in Hawaii, our government officials, our business partners, um, especially here in, in the region. Um, I wanna give a big thanks to our wonderful employees, um, They've also adjusted to the new, the new requirements, and, uh, and many of them under these situations have, have signed up for different leaves of absence just to help save jobs. Um, they also are committed to being strong when this, when this thing is over. 
And, and you know, our business plan is really all about being prepared for what's happening right now and also to be strong and ready so that when the time is right, uh, we can rebound really well out of this pandemic and continue to serve the, the world and Hawaii for passengers and cargo. Um, it is that shared purpose of um, connecting people and uniting the world. And that's, uh, that's what we're all about right now. Um, and I know we're gonna talk about some other things on the panel today, so maybe I'll leave it uh, shorter and uh, let the questions come and be happy to participate in any questions that you may have. Thanks a lot for the time and the introduction. Hey, thank you, Jeff. Very looking forward to uh, seeing everything United's gonna be doing for us. Thank you, Toby. Uh, next up is our panel discussion. Uh, and the Q&A part of our webinar. If you guys have not uh, left any questions in the Q&A, please do so. We're very interested to hear what you want us to say. Today's panel will be led by two University of Hawaii Shiler College of Business Board of Directors and are both executives of Hawaiian Airlines. Nina Bocasetto is a senior manager and Lance Higa is a senior director for the airline. Welcome to the discussion, Nina and Lance. Thank you, Toby. Thanks, Toby. Um, anyway, first off, uh, thank you guys all for your participation, our distinguished panelists, and uh, for everyone tuning in. I think this is a, a very important discussion, and I think the intent of, of getting the message out that it is safe is, is really the, the, the core of what we're trying to do today. Um, so what we'll do is we'll start with a few questions. We have five questions that I'll ask, and I'll call on each of the panelists individually, and then I'll turn it over to Nina, who will uh, ask five questions of the individual panelists as well. So uh, we'll start with Tim Sakahara. So the first question is, does everyone need to create a safe travels account and what happens if they refuse? Yeah, thanks Lance and, and, and thanks for the question. And the simple answer is yes. Uh, all, all of the travelers do need to have a safe travels account um, form. All, that's all adults and all, all of the unaccompanied minors. And keep in mind, like. There's also the Department of Agriculture form that people may be used to when they fill out and uh, the flight crew will distribute it, they'll fill out and be, it'll be collected uh, prior to landing. In that case, it's only one per family that needs to do it. But in the safe travels uh, case, even if it's a, a, a couple um, coming together and spouses, both spouses would need to create a safe travels form and account and then fill out their um, answer those health and travel questions um, prior to landing and prior to doing the passenger screening at the airport. Uh, so yes, they all do. It, it is mandatory as to the question if they refuse. Um, well, there are some options. They will have to take the next flight back to where they came from, which has happened several hundred times uh, since the quarantine was started uh, at the end of March and, and, and continues to happen um, from people or um, they will uh, be directed to law enforcement that is at the airports as well. So it is, uh, it is mandatory uh, to fill out that, uh, that, that health and, and travel form in the Safe Travels webpage. Thanks, Tim. Do you, do you think it's uh, an issue of not knowing or an issue of just obstinance? In the beginning, there was definitely cases of people flying in and not knowing about the mandatory quarantine. Um, and so there were cases of people coming in uh, you know, not realizing it and saying, well, heck, I'm, I'm only here for a week. I'm not gonna spend it on my hotel. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just fly home. Um, thanks to the airlines who were, I've also been very accommodating in that case, 
um, to fly them directly back uh, to where they came from. Um, in some cases, the state and the, the VASH, the Visitor Law Society uh, program has helped pay for, um, to, to send people back uh, as well. That's happened a few hundred times um, as well. And in other cases, it is just people, quite frankly, who have been kind of obstinate and said, you know, stated that uh, it was a violation um, and they have fought it. And there have been people that have been arrested um, as a result. Um, so there's a little bit of both. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate that. Uh, next question is for Avi. So obviously, throughout our 90-year history at Hawaiian, uh, we've become an integral part of the community. Um, how will Hawaiian and the other airlines um, balance what's best for business versus what's best for the community during the pandemic? Thanks, Lance. So I think, you know, as we've as we've thought about this crisis um, from the very beginning, it was clearly important to us that we continue to support our community through um, through this. And, and uh, you know, Hawaiian uh, and all the, the airlines that serve Hawaii have, have a track record of, of volunteerism and support of the community. For us, um, it was clear that food insecurity was going to be a major issue. And so we've been very focused on that, on supporting um, the food banks in our communities. Um, doing that even at a time when we were having to establish food banks for our own employees. And so, um, again, you know, this, this is not a, the economic crisis that's facing us is not going to leave any member of our community untouched. And so it was incredibly important that we be engaged on that from the very beginning, working to support merchants and restaurants and small businesses in our community through our, uh, our credit card program. Um, in the slightly longer term, I think it's going to be important for all of the airlines to engage in a constructive dialogue about the future of tourism here. One of the things that has happened with COVID is it has laid bare a lot of the tensions that have existed um, in our community for a long time about um, the benefits and the costs of tourism. And I think we have to uh, be engaged in that discussion in a positive way. Um, and then thinking even longer time horizon, um, when we are hopefully beyond uh, COVID and have learned to, um, to live with it and manage our economy, um, one of the biggest issues facing us as a community will be climate change. And I think airlines need to, uh, in this time, not forget our, um, our role to play in that. We are emitters of carbon in a big way, and we have a lot to do um, to ensure that um, in the long term we remain sustainable. We can't let um, this crisis distract us from that long-term focus either. Excellent. Thank you very much, Avi. Uh, for Daniel, uh, at the peak of the shutdown when most flights in and out of Hawaii were suspended, how much input did the airlines have with local government in regards to reopening tourism and, and how, you know, how many uh, of the airlines could participate on you know, having a seat at, in, in those meetings? Sure. Well, thanks, uh, Lance. You know, I, I think I'd um, really like to start off by saying, as um, Jeff mentioned, you know, we really appreciate the relationship that we have with the state, um, you know, all throughout this crisis from the very beginning, I do feel uh, like we were able to communicate uh, very openly with them. And uh, we had regular meetings, um, at least all of the government affairs um, representatives from the domestic carriers were able to uh, meet with the Department of Transportation. We had several meetings with the governor. Um, and so I, you know, I do think that uh, we had um, uh, some, some type of um, communication and interaction with our state leaders. Um, I will also say that you know uh, a lot of grace I think can be given to our state leaders. You know this is not an easy thing, um, and this is also not um, business as usual at all, right? And so um, the 
the, the ability to communicate and, um, and, and how to share information is something that is quite challenging. And I think we have seen that um, throughout this uh, you know, entire pandemic. Uh, what I think some of the frustration might have uh, been is that you know, we communicate um, to our guests and a lot of times you know, we might also just get the information from the media sometimes. And, and that's, that's, that's a tough thing, but that is um, sort of you know, um, how it is in um, this situation. And so I think you know, um, short answer to your question, um, I think we you know, absolutely did have um, a seat at the table. And I would also like to hear from um, Hawaiian and also uh, United, I do think that, um, you know, uh, see what their thoughts are on this question. Avi or Jeff, uh, you guys want to chime in? Sure, yeah, um, I, I would echo some of what Daniel said. I think, you know, the governor certainly set the tone of uh, being collaborative and inclusive in, in the discussions. And I think the airlines had a lot to contribute to that dialogue, not just um, in terms of how the air travel system works, but also because we're used to solving complex logistical problems and using technology. And so um, we tried to bring some of what we know um, to contribute to that discussion. Uh, that doesn't mean agreeing with, uh, with every decision that's been made. Um, and, you know, I, again, I don't envy the policymakers who had to make these decisions. They had a lot of stakeholders. They're really complex today. I think it's clear not everyone agrees on what the answer is. Um, what's most important for our industry and I think for our state is that we move forward with a plan, however imperfect it is, um, that we find a way to start uh, and move forward together. Jeff. Yes, I, you know, I, we have had good relationships with uh, the leaders through from the governor's office and with the state of Hawaii airports division, um, you know, locally through the counties, uh, through their various infrastructure and, and government offices. Uh, but our, our government affairs person has been um, very involved in helping to collaborate around solutions. I, I think Daniel mentioned earlier that we don't compete on safety. Uh, we share best practices with each other. We share ideas um, for the better good. And I think that's the, the way it's been uh, that people have related to each other. Um, and, and I think through our relationships more at the state level, um, what we're hoping to see is there's more of a clear uh, unified way of understanding how business or how tourism, how the movement of passengers will actually work. Um, recognizing there may be differences by county uh, just having a clear sense of that so people have some assurances. Thank you, Jeff. Good points. Uh, for Shibata-san, uh, currently Japan allows foreign travel between various Asian countries such as Vietnam, Thailand, and soon to be South Korea. Um, can you explain a little bit about the departure testing requirements and um, what happens for Japanese nationals returning from these countries back to Japan? Yes, uh, thank you. Question. Uh, currently, uh, Japan has agreement with uh, 16 countries in, uh, in Asia and Oceania. Uh, departing passengers uh, must show a pre-test negative result in Narita or Haneda airport prior to departure. When landing in, in uh, destination countries such as uh, Vietnam, Thailand, etc., we ha you have to uh, show them the same pre-test paperwork. Arriving back into Narita or Haneda, uh, they take a test upon arrival. The requirement to quarantine uh, when coming back to Japan have different conditions to meet the destination government approval. 
uh, at, this, at this time, uh, any Japanese citizen arriving on a flight uh, from Hawaii uh, needs to quarantine for 14 days, uh, even if uh, they test negative at the airport. Okay, so it's very, very similar to what we, what we experience here. Thank you very much, Shibata-san. Um, and to Jeff, uh, with many hotels, vacation rentals, Airbnbs impacted by COVID, uh, resulting in some closures and uh, temporary shutdowns, reducing inventory, uh, is United working with some of the uh, providers to ensure that there are ample rooms available as travel starts to pick up? Right, okay. Um, you know, yes, we are, but it's, it's really mostly about sharing information with one another. Um, and that's all through relationships, right? Um, from my point of view, I've heard no um, concerns about having an appropriate level of accommodation and choices for customers. Uh, people will be able to choose from what are allowed by law or just what's allowed by their choice. And I don't sense that uh, there'll be any limits or, or anything that would uh, reduce our reopening of, of things here. Um, you know, these conversations, though, they're, they're very informal, right? And they're, they're through local community and airport relationships. Um, there might be a situation where we talk about some upcoming flight schedules, and they might talk a little bit about their reopening plans. Um, and so it's not as much about ensuring that the accommodations will be okay from an airline point of view. It's really that we understand that we live in this space together. And you know, while we may bring the, uh, the, the people here, uh, and certainly they need a place to go, from, from our point of view, we, we do see a readiness, uh, and we see their business plans be really smart um, about protecting their employees, well as being ready for, for when opening starts. Um, you know, we have the ability to scale our, our flights to the demand and move our aircraft around. Um, obviously, that's, that's a lot different from, from the accommodations. Um, and we can do that within just about a month's timing uh, as we work on crew resources and routings and things like that. Um, but things keep changing. And, and I think the name of the game is uh, continue to communicate openly uh, as, these, as these changes come up. Um, we'll be bringing in some additional flights uh, shortly. And from the sense of it, accommodations and the rest of the industry um, should be no problem for that. Excellent. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, uh, I'll turn it over to Nina, who will go through the next round of questions. Thank you, guys. Mahalo, Lance, and aloha, and thank you to all of our panelists again for your time and insight today. We'll begin our next round of questions, beginning with Jeff Tarpey of United Airlines. Jeff, throughout this pandemic, neighbor islands have been especially cautious in keeping their communities isolated and healthy. With more tourists expected to arrive in the outer islands once quarantine is lifted or testing options are in place, what preventative measures is United taking to keep neighbor island employees safe in order to maintain the larger community? Right, okay, um, I think you're right. I mean, what we wanna do is keep our employees safe. They're here to serve uh, one another, whether it's at home, whether it's with extended family, uh, but also with our, the people that they come into contact with through, through all the industry. Um, things that we've done, like for instance, in the past six months, right, we were able to gain an exemption to temporarily suspend our flights. Um, what that allowed us to do is to keep our employees safely away and on an on-call status. Uh, then July 1st, at two of our stations, we were able to resume with just one small flight a day at minimum staffing, and now we're growing back to uh, reopening up Lihui uh, later this week. 
um, and we'll, we'll have a, still a very minimal presence. Um, and when employees come into work, what they'll find uh, that even for those that have been away, there are some differences. Uh, we maintain all of the guidelines on social distancing, temperature screening. Um, we, we make sure masks are uh, part of everyday life where, where we're in and around people, including on board our, our flights. Um, and with this partnership with the Cleveland Clinic and Clorox that we've got our Clean Plus program, uh, there's a lot more sanitation and a lot more just common sense when it comes to being clean and, and being safe uh, here. I think one other thing is we've, we've added some leniency to our attendance policies so that, you know, if people can't come into work, um, they, they shouldn't. And, um, and obviously we need to run our business, but at the same time, um, we need to remove some of that pressure of exposing people who are sick uh, being in and around our, our general public here. Uh, but we, we've, we've been first in a lot of things uh, in the industry around cleanliness, um, and we're, we're going to continue to try to work hard at that. Great. Thank you, Jeff. It's exciting to hear about a lot of the uh, new initiatives that our airlines are taking. Our next question is for Shibata-san. Shibata-san, after six months hiatus, ANA flew on October 6th to Hawaii and plans to fly on October 19th. Are there any more plans for these types of flights in November? Uh, yes. Uh... ANA has scheduled uh, two dates for uh, a total of four flights in November. Uh, flight 186 from Haneda to Honolulu on November 6th and 20. Uh, flight 185 from Honolulu to Haneda on November 7th and 21. Uh, these flights are not for a leisure travel, but for a business travelers or citizens of Japan that would like to travel back for various reasons, so uh, not focused on uh, uh, tourism. So this is a current situation. Great, thank you, Shibata-san. As Sandy mentioned, we're all very excited to see flights uh, resuming uh, to and from Japan. Um, Daniel, next question is for you. During our first webinar with Hawaii's economic leaders, there was some discussion around infected passengers potentially spreading um, germs or virus uh, with others en route during flights. And I know you briefly mentioned this during your opening remarks. Do you have any additional insight that could help appease this concern for any travelers who are uh, concerned to travel still? Yeah, I think it's a very natural concern um, and thought that people have, right? And, uh, but I think, you know, once you sort of um, really understand how air circulates and is filtered on airplanes, um, you really do see that, you know, most viruses and germs uh, don't spread very easily on flights. Um, so, you know, that in combination with uh, what we've been talking about in, with regards to layers of safety, right? If everyone were to wear their mask, right? If universal mask wearing uh, was um, really adopted um, by everyone, um, the, the amount of risk goes dramatically down as well. We, we already know there's a low risk of transmission on board. And so when you put things like the mask, when you put things like, you know, um, limiting the amount of interaction that we have on board uh, between our, um, our flight crews and our guests, um, all of those things together is really what helps to minimize that spread. Um, and um, hopefully that, you know, helps to appease uh, folks as they start thinking about flying again. Great. Thanks, Daniel. Our next question is for Avi. Avi, Hawaiian Airlines recently resumed three daily, three weekly flights from Narita, Japan to Hawaii. Do you have any information on what type of passengers are traveling and the purpose of these flights? Yeah, so one of the really interesting things as context about um, operating an airline during this period of time has been that while passenger demand has dropped to almost nothing, 
uh, cargo demand has remained very strong and more so because so much of the belly capacity for airlines has been uh, has gone away as, as airlines have grounded their flights. And so we have actually been operating cargo only flights uh, to uh, Korea, um, to Japan on a fairly regular basis to other destinations in the Asia Pacific region. And we just leave the upstairs part of the airplane empty and, uh, and, and fill the downstairs part. And so um, we've been operating on that basis for some time. Uh, as Shibata-san mentioned, there are some essential travel needs uh, for Japanese nationals between Japan and Hawaii. And for us, because we were already operating these flights on a cargo-only basis, the additional cost to um, to serve guests on those on those flights was relatively low. And so, what we've seen is uh, a relatively small number of, of passengers, but some demand. Um, all Japanese nationals, some in many cases. Uh, living in Hawaii, wanting to go back and visit family. Obviously, there's a quarantine required on both sides. And so uh, it is a small market, um, but one that we felt it was important to serve. Hawaiian prior to COVID was the second largest uh, air carrier between Japan and Hawaii. Um, it's grown to be a very large part of our business and a very important part of our business. And so we felt like it was important to continue to connect uh, those, uh, those people who needed to travel between Hawaii and Japan. Great, thank you, Avi. And our last panelist question, uh, panel question is for Tim. Tim, what airports around the US would you consider to be a model airport in terms of COVID management and what factors make them such? Well, I'll, I'll start by answering that question with that Hawaii was actually the first uh, state in the country to implement the mandatory quarantine. And the Hawaii airport system is the first in the country as well to install the temperature screening equipment um, so Hawaii has been actually progressive and a lot of uh, the other airports, um, you know, have been following suit with some of those, uh, some of those measures. Um, certainly every airport out in the country and the world for that matter is, is you know, facing difficult decisions. Um, certainly you have to balance the, the health and safety of the public and employees, which is the primary concern um, with obviously continuing to operate and have the facilities available and open. Um, but if you have to, I, I think, compare, the, the closest one would be Alaska, um, because they too have a safe travels program that they implemented. It's similar, but some of the differences are all of the non-residents that enter the state are required to take uh, the test. Um, returning residents have the option to take the test, or they can just do the 14-day quarantine um, if they like. And they, uh, um, there's been various variations of, of this plan. Um, you know, I will say that they have been very progressive um, as well, but even with all the, the kind of stringent measures that they've taken, you know, it still doesn't mean there are zero cases coming in, right? And, and I don't think anyone out there can tell you that you can get that down to zero as far as, um, as, far as the positivity rate from people coming in. It is very low, um, especially coming into Hawaii, but, uh, but, but no matter how many different precautions and measures you take, um, it, it, it's, it's just not going to get to zero. Um, I will also add, though, that uh, from the traveling community, the visitors, um, at least in hearing discussions from the Department of Health, the visitor themselves is not the main culprit of those ones transmitting um, the virus into the Hawaii. In, in most cases, it's the returning residents and then those residents, you know, possibly going to big gatherings um, and, and, and spreading it that way. Um, so that's just a, a, a little bit more. Uh, perspective from that. 
Sure, thanks, Sam. And it's great to hear about you know Hawaii's efforts becoming really a front runner in in terms of uh, changing the way that we travel these days. Um, next, we're going to move on to our Q and A portion of the webinar. Thank you to all of our for all of your wonderful questions online. We'll try to answer as many as possible. Uh, there's one question that came in from Stuart Yurton, and this is for the the airline executives. Do we have a projection of how long it will take to get back to pre-COVID levels? Uh, Avi, can we start with you? Sure. Thanks, Stuart. I think. Um... It's a little hard, and we're we're an industry that is very forecast intensive because of how 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 much capital we deploy with our aircraft and and the people intensity of our business. We spend a lot of time on forecasts. I think it is very difficult for us right now um, to put forward a definitive forecast. We've we've sort of stopped uh, using that word internally, and we talk a lot about planning assumptions because. Um, what we have is a range of different things, and, and much of the outcomes are things that are out of our control. It's the progression of disease in our community. It's how well we do at managing it. It's how effectively the state implements uh, its pre-travel testing program. And so um, we have a range of different uh, outcomes that we, that we look at. I think we've talked before publicly about being somewhere between 15 and 25% smaller in the summer of next year. But that's a planning assumption too. And frankly, the, the key for us, and I think probably for a lot of businesses in our community is going to be to maximize our flexibility and our optionality so that um, as circumstances emerge, um, we, have, uh, we have resources to go and, and take advantage of them um, and make sure that we're, that we're being as commercially effective as possible. So um, no, no really clear forecast uh, for Q4. We are seeing um, some modest increases in demand for travel, but it's coming very close in. Uh, I think because of some of the uncertainty and, and, and confusion about, um, about pre-travel testing and what, what people can do in the state uh, at the moment. And so um, hopefully that starts to spread out and makes it easier for us to forecast. But right now, um, we're just trying to make sure that we are as, as flexible and dynamic as possible in our planning. Sure. Thanks, Avi. Shibata-san, did you have anything to add? Yes. Uh, according to the latest uh, forecast on the IATA, uh, so, uh, transportation uh, association. Uh, so, uh, more than two years uh, to recovery, uh, maybe. So, but uh, so, so especially in, in Hawaii, uh, as I mentioned in my presentation, uh, uh, to renew the restriction is uh, the most important. Uh, so, it means that uh, uh, most, most countries are uh, 14 days quarantine. Uh, this is this is, uh, this is a minimum level. So, uh, we are uh, we are waiting for uh, early relaxation. Uh, Thank you, Shibata-san. Uh, Jeff or Daniel, did you have anything to add from from your perspectives? Uh, yeah, I could jump in. Just um, company wide, you know, for the fourth quarter, we're probably looking um, to be about forty to fifty percent smaller, and then um, similar to uh, what Avi said. Um, for the summer of 2021, we're about projecting right now about 20% smaller um, as a company, uh, looking at uh, capacity as that measure. Yes, and I, uh, good points. Uh, and I would add that, you know, we're similar, we're down, uh, we're operating at least 30% smaller right now. Uh, and we really are waiting for a vaccine to create, you know, a real rebound in, in meaningful demand. Uh, the, the bright spot would be this, since the announcement of the pre-travel testing, uh, we did see an increase in, uh, in bookings. Uh, and as Avi mentioned, or one of the others, it's typically close in. Great, thank you. 
Yeah, so to Nina's point, that is probably the most repeated question is people asking on what the rebound looks like and what the bookings look like. So there, there's also questions on the hotel side, obviously, that we can't answer. And I think um, the, the panelists have indicated that we see some uptick, but it's very close and it would be very hard to tell you, you know, exactly how many people are going to come in when. So um, there's also a number of questions on testing and what the requirements are and what, who the partners are for each of the airlines. And um, I'll ask the airline uh, panelists to speak on that, but I'm pretty sure that every airline's website will have the information that the, uh, the uh, listeners need. Uh, any, anybody want to start with what the individual programs look like at each airline for pre-testing? Sure, I, I can start. Um, so. Uh, Hawaiian has announced a couple of different uh, options for uh, for our guests. We have uh, a partnership with a company called Vault Health, um, who does mail-in test kits for people who aren't going to be close to another testing option. You can get the kit mailed to you, and it's a saliva test. Um, the other option that we are doing is rolling out uh, a, a group of, of physical labs for drive-through testing. Um, will be up in Los Angeles and San Francisco. I think you know at, by, by next week at the latest. Um, we probably uh, are not going to be ready for the 15th at the moment, um, but um, we are working very hard to get those physical labs up. At the end of the day, I think what matters most is that there are choices for people. So the state has a number of partnerships with CVS and Walgreens. Uh, we're not particularly uh, fussy about where people get tested as long as it's a trusted partner of the state. Um, but it's important that there be choice and that there be competition because ultimately that's what's going to drive down the cost of testing and improve its availability to consumers, which is going to be critical to the economic recovery of the state. Thank you, Avi. Uh, yeah, any we, other? Yeah, yeah we, we absolutely agree on, on choice and um, accessibility of tests. Uh, we have focused all of our uh, testing partnerships right now out of Seattle because that's where all of our flights are um, originating out of. Um, and so we have uh, two partnerships, one with Carbon Health. Um, they're offering pop-up testing, uh, pop-up rapid testing in Seattle. And then we also have uh, Bartel Drugs, uh, which is offering uh, testing within three of their uh, locations within the Seattle area. And then we do have plans to ramp up over the next few weeks as uh, we do add more service uh, up and down the West Coast in uh, key markets uh, like San Diego, uh, San Jose, Portland, um, and being able to offer um, those options to our guests out of those cities. Um, but as Avi said, we also um, are uh, promoting all of the other um, states trusted testing partners uh, because option is options are uh, very much important to our guests. Thanks, Daniel. Anyone else want to comment on that before we turn it over to Nina, who has a question for Tim? Uh, Lance, real quick, I would say for United, uh, our customers through San Francisco, our big gateway can uh, participate with Go Health Urgent Care. That's the, uh, the rapid one. Um, and it's over near the international terminal there. The other is uh, a drive-through testing administered by color. Um, the rapid is a bit more expensive, but the convenience of having a result in 15 minutes. Uh, whereas the other one with color is fantastic. A uh, little bit more time involved, about 48 hours for the turnaround time. Thank you, Jeff. Good information. A lot of people have been asking about the pre-testing, so I think this is very valuable. All right, uh, Nina. Great, thanks, Lance. Uh, Tim, you have a bit of a unique perspective being on this panel with the airlines and you're coming from the government background. There's one question that came in from Sharon Guo. Um, maybe you can help to share your perspectives. Are there any new programs or policies that will be implemented to prevent a total shutdown of our industry if something like this happens again? 
Yeah, thanks. For, thank you for that question, Charon. So from the HDOT perspective, the, obviously everything that was being done with quarantine or restrictions is all with the health and safety in mind. I mean, that is the top priority. Prior to all that was being done, clearly the, the HDOT leadership was part of the discussion and did caution against the profound impact that um, having these restrictions and quarantine uh, would have on the travel industry, the airline partners, and everyone who relies on, on tourism and that, that visitor industry. And so um, clearly that was uh, warned against and something you know, that, that was a fear. Of course, during a, a pandemic like this, that the health and safety did take the priority. It's also why you see so much discussion right now from the governor on down, um, even continuing. And we're, we're a couple days out from the October 15th and there's still discussion about it. It's also why you've seen the, the, the relaunch or restart date postponed, because a lot of that is you don't want to go backwards, right? No one in, in the state wants to go backwards. Once you have these uh, programs in place and they're launched, you want to keep going and you want to build momentum forward. Clearly, it would hurt again if you have to go backwards. And I'm not saying that that won't happen, but that's what everybody is working towards, not going backwards. And so that is, uh, that is kind of the perspective of the state. Um, it is a very cautious approach, but, but please know that the travel industry, the visitor industry, and the impacts to that aspect of the economy is uh, certainly taken into consideration in all the aspects that are going. Um, you know, as far as specific policy decisions, those that do come from the governor's um, um, level, the federal level, if there's any additional stimulus measures. And so uh, the, the advice there is to, to clearly, if you're a business owner, um, to continue to pay attention um, and, and follow those and then apply right away if, if there are additional policy making decisions that uh, come about. Can, can I just Great. add before we close that one out? You know, the, the, I think one of the, you know, the, the travel industry uh, and the airports have done a lot of work to make sure that we can keep uh, incoming travel as safe as possible. Over the summer, we got to 300 or 400 cases a day through nothing but community spread. And so um, if we want to remain open and get our economy started, um, it is not just about hardening our ports and our port places of entry. It is about making sure that we in the community remain vigilant, wear masks, stay distanced, and do the very basic things that we know um, can prevent community spread. And so I think that's incredibly important for all of us who care about um, the success of this reopening to keep in mind. Great points. Thank you, Avi. Thanks, Tim. Okay, we've probably got time for just maybe one more question. And uh, there's a, a question from Thomas Sweat about uh, marketing work from Hawaii. And I think it was covered in the first session. Uh, and I don't think there's anyone here that was uh, or, or can answer that question. But yes, it was it was brought up uh, that Hawaii should be marketed as a first step um, as a work from Hawaii destination. So uh, let's see if there's anything else uh, from Toby or Sandy that they see in the questions that they think is pertinent? Hi, Lance. Um, no, I think you've done a great job at carrying, uh, uh, bringing up a wide variety of questions. Thank you. Okay. Uh, with that, I will turn it back to Sandy and Toby. Thank you. Mahalo, mahalo. I was playing in my airplane. Sorry, I was like all distracted with my <laughs> ANA airplane here. Oh, Toby, how did you get that ANA <laughs> balloon? How cute! Oh, VIP status. Thank you, Shibata-san. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, Toby, I think it's time to put the balloon away and welcome everybody back. <laughs> Thank you for your questions. They were on point and exactly what we needed to hear. <laughs> oh, yes, they were. As we mentioned earlier, these free webinars are brought to you by the University of Hawaii Shiner College of Business and Travel Industry Management Alumni Associations. Please make sure you check out our new fundraising campaign called Shiner Strong started this week, Thursday. Now, if you would like to rewatch any part of this webinar, a recording will be posted on the Scheidler College page on Vimeo. You can find out our two past webinars, overview of the reopening of tourism, as well as our focus on health and safety there. Registration for our next webinar, Impacts to the Hotel Industry, will begin tomorrow morning. It will be next week, Tuesday at a special time, 10 a.m. Again, this is a special time, 10 a.m., so put that in your calendars now. The lineup of speakers is amazing. Uh, it includes Mufi Hanneman of the Hawaii Lodging and Tourism Association, Kelly Sanders of Highgate Hotels, Linda Rodriguez of Hilton Grand Vacations, Elliot Mills of the Alani Resort, and Tom Kalami of Marriott Hotels. Really amazing panel. Please note this is a special 10 a.m. panel next week, Tuesday. You also receive an email with registration. And because of feedback from you, we're gonna open up an eighth webinar on November 17. Stay with us. We're looking at possibly doing a subject on activities, events, and wedding, a very struggling market here for the tourism industry. Thank you to our panelists for sharing your guidance and providing us with, with hope as we move forward through this time together. And thank you to all those in attendance. We appreciate your questions and all that you're doing to reopen our, econo our economy safely. See you next week.